Bibles. And I believe we left off with the questioning of John the Baptist last time. And we now begin Matthew chapter 11. Now, if you've been following in the outlines, you will notice that we do quite a bit of jumping around here. Especially in the book of Matthew, we'll get two or three events. Uh, uh, We did uh, last week, the centurion servant healed Matthew chapter 8. And all of a sudden, we're in Matthew chapter 11. Then we're going to go back and pick up other things. And um, it's just uh, uh, Matthew tells his story accurately and carefully, just not in the same order that everybody else does. And so what we're trying to do here is piece this together into a single story as much as we possibly can. And again... Uh, I'm not going to take time to chase down every difference that might appear uh, in your story. Let me just give you one illustration. If we continue and get through what's on the page tonight, which would be a small miracle in and of itself, but if we get to the end, will be the story of the demoniac at Gadara. And uh, Luke lists uh, a name, the Gezerines, and And uh, Matthew, I mean Mark, yeah, Matthew and Mark call it the Gadarenes. And uh, one of the commentators went through this whole thing, several paragraphs, to describe that they were just different spellings of the same area. Now, doesn't that bless your heart? I mean, aren't you just so encouraged to know that? I I didn't encourage me at all. And and so I'm not going to waste a lot of our teaching time trying to explain these apparent little differences that people nitpick at. Because we're not here to answer the critics of the Bible. Some people think that that's what they ought to do. I I never have believed that that's what we ought to do. People are critics of the Scripture because they've already chosen not to believe them. What we are trying to do, how many of you could use just a little more encouragement? How many of you could use a little more direction? You know, I was I went for my yearly checkup, and guess what was on the TV in the doctor's waiting room? Dr. Oz. And you know what the subject was? What would Jesus eat? Some idiot had written a book on what would Jesus eat, And then I guess there's a new TV series called The Bible out there. And it is just supposed to be everything. And, you know, they made an amazing discovery. Jesus did not eat prepared foods. You had to dig deep to find that one, let me tell you. Pop-Tarts hadn't been invented yet. Dunkin' Donuts wasn't in business. Uh, I'll tell you. Uh, They made some amazing discoveries. He ate a lot of vegetables. And fish. Because the Bible talks about fish. But of course they were all in agreement that Jesus drank red wine. Now... You don't have to study your Bible very far to find out that Jesus wouldn't drink that filthy slop that has destroyed so many lives. He said, but the word is wine. Yes, it actually is. But we don't have time to go over the 16 or 20 lessons that we did studying through the Bible. You know something? I don't need to know what Jesus ate. I need to know what he wants me to do. I need to know the things that he taught. And that's what the Gospels are about. Amen? And let's just pick up right here in Matthew chapter 11. Do you know that Jesus got upset? That's one of the reasons we do not use an NIV Bible around here because the NIV has mistranslated a verse 
that says, he that is angry is in danger of judgment. How many of you have ever gotten angry? uh, Let me tell you something. Most of the time when we get angry, it's for the wrong reasons. But Jesus did get angry. He wasn't sinning when he got angry. Uh, There are times when you should get angry. You know, uh, I've read some of these books on the discipline of children. It says, you should never be upset with your children. What world do you live in, my friend? When little Joey takes a sharp knife out of the drawer, uh, it's time to express a little upset and maybe even a little anger to scare the living daylights out of that kid. So he doesn't hurt himself or somebody else. Amen? I mean, is that cruelty? No, you're protecting him. It's not permissible to lose your temper because you feel bad. But Jesus did lose his temper on several occasions. And you'll find a common theme with Jesus being angry. It's unbelief. It is a disregard for the things of God. Now here in Matthew chapter 11 where we pick up our narrative and you'll have to remember here that we are now almost uh, two and a half or so years into the ministry of Jesus Christ And we're still in Mark chapter 3. The the majority of the record of Jesus' ministry dealt with in the Gospels is dealing with the last few months of his ministry. Uh, There are many things that they choose to just skip over. John ends his narrative, the book of John, by saying... If we were to record every miracle that Jesus did, the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. And so there's no way the Bible is even intending to give us everything that Jesus did. It's giving us the highlights. And one of those highlights is Jesus' pronouncement of judgment against the cities in which he did most of his ministry. So let's look at Matthew chapter 11. And it says here, uh, Matthew chapter 11, I'm sorry, verse 2. Wait a minute. What What did I do here? Oh, verse 20. There we go. Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty miracles were done because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyrus and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell, for if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for it seemeth good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so we have Jesus pronouncing judgment upon these cities. They refused to listen. They 
had seen the miracles which Jesus had done and had purposely chosen to ignore them. You say, how can that happen? Why does that happen? Because people are people. That's why it happens. God knows what it will take to, for the sinner to repent. He also knows what it will take to condemn the unrighteous. And God will do both. And I believe we've gone through parts of this before. But I love the end of this thing. Jesus ends this judgment here by saying that you've withheld these things from the wise and you revealed them unto babes. Now, every time I read this passage, I don't know about you, but my mind goes to uh, the uh, book of Corinthians where Paul says, not many wise. He says, not, I, God hasn't chosen the rich of this world. He chooses those that he can get glory from. And we got to come to him and allow him to lead us. Amen? Then let's go to Luke chapter 7. As Jesus is teaching, the next chronological story is found in Luke. And this is such an interesting story. Many times people confuse this story with Mark chapter uh, 12, where Mary, the brother, I mean the sister of Lazarus, anoints Jesus' uh, head with ointment just before uh, the Passion Week, the night before he rides the donkey through the eastern uh, gate of Jerusalem. But if we follow the chronology of the Bible the best that we can, we'll find that uh, this story happened right about in here, and so therefore they could not possibly be the same story. And so let's go to uh, Luke chapter 7, uh, verse 36, it says, And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and beginning and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. And when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Now we're going to stop right here and just go over some of the wording in the Bible. How many of you in this room are sinners? Would you just raise your hand? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I want to explain to you that this word in the story, even though this woman is called a sinner, it is not talking about just the fact that everyone has sinned. You will see this phrase often through your Gospels, the publicans and sinners. Now, that was a class of people. Just like when you see the word Jews in the gospel record, it's not talking about all Jewish people. Everybody in the gospel record except the Roman soldiers were Jews. Uh, it's talking about the religious leaders and the publicans. We know them as the tax collectors. They were Jewish people who were cooperating and helping the Roman government oppress the Jewish people. We would call them traitors today. And the sinners were a special class of Jewish people. They were Jewish. They lived in the same cities, were parts of the same families, but they had decided, much like the publicans, that the best way to live life was to forget about all the rules in the Bible and do things the Roman way or the best way they could get by. 
They were people who just did not care about the laws of God. On the Sabbath, the sinner would be out grilling up a steak, so the smell would drift over to the house of those people who believed that they were following the law of God and said you can't cook on the Sabbath day. The sinners were the ones that, quote-unquote, had all the fun. Uh, if we were to classify them as part of our modern-day culture, we, we might call them the club crowd, uh, the people who just enjoy flaunting their loose and abandoned lifestyle. Now, I want you to think about this story. This woman who was classified... The the Pharisee picked her out. He said, I know who she is. She is one of those sinners. She is a person who not only lives a wicked and unbiblical life, she's willing to let everybody know about it. She's publicly identified as one who refuses to live by the laws of God. Who were the Pharisees? These were the most, quote-unquote, righteous living of all the people in the land of Israel. Now, were they righteous? No, they were self-righteous. There's a big difference. It's easy to be righteous when you evaluate yourself. How many of you have ever had this happen at work? Your boss gives you a work evaluation that you disagree with. Because you thought you were doing a better job than your boss thought you were doing. Has that ever happened to anybody? It happens all the time, doesn't it? Hey, wait a minute. It's easy to be righteous if you set the standards. But this woman had no qualms about her unrighteousness. And yet she shows up at the house of the Pharisee to ask Jesus for forgiveness. That in itself is an amazing act on her part. The Pharisees did not think much of sinners. In fact, I'm sure that she could feel the stare of the Pharisee as he's sitting there. What is this woman doing in my house? And she begins to weep. And the Bible says that she actually is weeping profusely enough to wash the dust off Jesus' feet. Now, I want you to understand something. Emotion is a very good thing. Feigned emotions, that's faked emotions, is a very evil thing. What this woman was doing was real. I've met people and they say, but pastor, I just can't weep like that. It just doesn't, don't worry about it. You let God take care of the tears, amen? He will work in your life as he wants to work, but God was working in this woman's life because he had a lesson to teach to the Pharisee. And she anointed his feet with oil, with this ointment. And apparently it was very similar to what Mary did in Mark chapter 12. It says that the room was filled with the smell. I I am very sensitive to strong perfumes and colognes. Uh, I'll tell you what, sometimes somebody will shake my hand and they will have used a very strong cologne and I'm trying to run to the bathroom to wash my hands so that I can get through the sermon without my sinuses shutting down my breathing system. Uh, That's just the way I am. But if you've ever sat in a restaurant and somebody comes in with a real strong, you know, cologne, they didn't spoil your food. You ever had that happen? Uh, I mean, if you've been in New York very long, it's happened sometime along the line. This woman disrupts the meal and everything by what she is doing. 
And the Pharisee, the only thing that he can figure out with this whole thing is if Jesus had any idea who this woman was, he would have thrown her out of my house like I wish I could do. You know, it's hard to watch someone truly worship the Lord when it's not in your heart to worship the same Lord. That's what was going on in the Pharisee's heart. And, and I titled this section that Jesus is really beginning the struggle here with the Pharisees. They've found out enough of who he is and what he teaches. They've already decided they're not going to believe in him. And this thing is going to continually build until the last week when Jesus is finally delivered into the hands of the Romans. And of course, we know that Jesus went willingly. But these Pharisees thought they were actually doing something. They thought they had this thing. They were getting this under control. And now Jesus teaches Simon something here. And let's just read the next few verses. And Jesus answering said unto Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed him five, owed 500 pence, the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, of them which will love him the most. And Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave the most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time thou camest, that I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil didst thou not, didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little." And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he saith to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Now be careful you don't read things into the Bible that aren't there. The great emotion of this woman did not save her. It was the fact that she came to Christ. But for her, that was a great emotional experience. Amen? I've seen some people break down in tears and weep uncontrollably when they finally got to that point to where they were ready to accept Christ as their Savior. Other people, just as straightforward and flat as if they were almost a machine. Yeah, I understand I need to be saved. You know what? Jesus saves them both. You don't base your salvation on your experience. But what Jesus was trying to do here was he's saying, Simon, you don't love me because you don't think that you had much in need of forgiveness. Is that true? No. That's not true with any human being. We have all sinned greatly before God. And let me tell you, God is able to forgive the sins of the Pharisee just as he's able to forgive the sins of the sinners. And every one of us in this room, no matter what you've done or where you've been, you fit somewhere in between those two. I mean, these are the extremes. And one of the reasons this story is put in here is to show us the struggle that was going on as Jesus was worshipped by this woman and he then pronounces her forgiven. He pronounces her saved. He says, thy faith has saved thee. You know what? There's one thing that's true about salvation if you're saved. You have to forget about who you are. 
You have to forget about everything that everybody else thinks about you. And you have to give yourself completely to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? How many of you since you've been saved, now please don't raise your hands, but just want you to think a minute. Since you've been saved, since you've asked Jesus to save you, how many of you have messed up? I mean, done some bad things. We all have. You know, can you have faith in Jesus like this woman did? That when he said, Thy faith has saved thee, go in peace, that you go in peace and not continually weep over things that Jesus has already forgiven you for. Can we try that again? If you believe in Jesus that he's forgiven you for your sins, that's all of them. Amen? That's what this story is about. And she demonstrated her love for the Savior by her act of worship, which was accepted. But here, Jesus did not tell her the same thing that he told Mary in Mark chapter 12, which says, wherever this gospel of the kingdom is preached, it's going to be spoken of a memorial for thee. He didn't tell her that. All he told her is, you're saved. Your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. That was the answer to her question, even though she didn't voice it. And Jesus puts this parable to the Pharisee saying, listen, you don't think you need to be forgiven. That's why you don't love me. This woman is asking for forgiveness and seeks it. And Jesus forgives all that seek his forgiveness. Amen. He does not turn us away. He's not sitting there saying, well, they haven't reached the right sincerity factor yet. I'm just going to wait. No. Jesus isn't dealing with sincerity. He's dealing with honesty. If you seek him, he will save you. Amen. That is the story. And Jesus... Let's go to Luke chapter, oh, Luke chapter 8. Let's just keep right moving right on through. And it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, and Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others, which ministered unto him of their substance. Now, I don't want to take a long time right here, but I want to make a statement. Jesus was not afraid of women. And no, he didn't get married to Mary Magdalene, all right? And Mary Magdalene, uh, people really say a lot of things about her because here it says, out of whom went seven devils. She must have been this horrible, wicked, evil person. The Bible doesn't say that. You know, we don't know hardly anything about Mary Magdalene, but she is one of the most maligned people in all the Bible. Here's what it says. She got saved. When she got saved, Jesus got rid of some things that were controlling her life. You know what? You don't have to do all kinds of evil things to be under the influence of the devil. Let me tell you some of the most devilish things people do, they do in church. When they gather together and call out Jesus' name and do not worship him as the God of the Bible, and do all... You can't get any more demonic than that. Read the book of Revelation. The depths of Satan is false worship. Is talking about a Jesus who does not change your life, talking about a Jesus other than the one that's in the Bible, and leading other people to believe in that Jesus, that's as evil as it gets. It's not what goes on in the nightclubs that gets God really upset. It's what goes on in the lives of people who pick up a Bible 
and don't teach what's in it. And so as we follow through here, we find that these women followed Jesus and that they ministered to him of their substance. That these women actually supported financially. One was the wife of Herod's steward. Now, a steward was, would be the business manager. This would be, in modern days, King Herod's, uh, what do they call those, uh, pers- executive assistant? Yeah, is the title. That is your number two guy. He's the one that does all the work while you do all the thinking. One of these days, we'll get one of those around. No. Um, uh, the simple truth of the matter is, this was a very prosperous man. And his wife believed in Jesus. You know, if Herod wanted to know the message of the gospel, all he had to do was talk to his secretary's wife, a man who he saw every day. It wasn't that far from Herod. And she ministered to him of her substance, and Jesus accepted these gifts, and Luke mentions it here in a special way. Let me tell you something. There's a ministry for ladies. God has a place. You just serve him where he's put you. Amen? And so these we have this story here of Jesus going through Galilee. And now we're going to get into some other things, if we can, very quickly. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 12, and we're just going to pick up the narrative there as Jesus is teaching. And the reason we're going here to Matthew, if I'm remembering correctly, Matthew chapter 12, And um, let's look down here at uh, verse 20. Um, wait a minute. I've got something messed up here. It is, let's, let's, uh, it's actually down to, uh, ver- let's go to Mark chapter 3 and then we'll come back to Matthew chapter 12. I'm not... Mark chapter 3, verse, and uh, look at verse 31. It says, There came then his brethren and his mother, standing without, sent unto him, calling him. And the multitude sat about and said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked round about on them which sat about him and said, Behold my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my and mother. And uh, let's go back to Matthew chapter 12. And the same words, we're going to find them down in verse 46. And uh, it says, While he yet talked... Uh, to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak unto him, speak with him. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto them, and it goes on to the same words. It says, If you want to obey me, that is my family. People have made a big deal about Mary. Jesus said, Listen. If you want to be put in the same position as Mary, all you have to do is obey me. If you want to be part of my family, and of course that's all through the New Testament, is it not? Book of Hebrews, he's not ashamed to call us brethren because he was one of us and he lived here on earth. And so the the um, Pharisees are... Uh, Dealing with Jesus, we go up here to, uh, uh, in the previous part, uh, verse 38, Jesus rebukes these Pharisees as a wicked 
an adulterous generation, an evil and adulterous generation, then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered and said, Master, we would see a sign from thee. Now, let me ask you, how many signs had Jesus already given? How many people had he healed? How many sermons had he preached in this two to two and a half year period that we're dealing with already? And all of a sudden they're saying, we want a sign, we want proof. Now, Jesus said, there's no sign going to be given unto you except the sign of the prophet Jonas. Now that sign was Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so Jesus would be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus was giving a prophecy of his resurrection. But let me ask you, what did the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees do when the Roman guard came in Easter Sunday morning and said, uh, this angel descended out of the sky and rolled the tomb away and the tomb is now empty and we don't know what happened? They bribed them with a huge amount of money to say they were sleeping on their on their guard and that the disciples stole the body away. Now, how many of you can already see the foolishness of the story? If you were sleeping, how did you see the disciples steal the body? Uh, if you woke up and saw the disciples, do you think that Peter and his ear trick was any match for a trained Roman soldier? Uh, I mean, let's just get serious here. They're... Their story was a lie. People today will come up to the same thing and say, prove to me the Bible's true. Wait a minute. You're already starting out with a postulate that is an unprovable statement that the Bible needs to be proved true in order to be true. Please stop kicking that thing, okay? Um... We don't accept that postulate. We believe the Bible is true. And unless you're willing to start out believing the Bible is true, you will not be convinced no matter what happens. If you want to witness to someone and they look at you and they say, well, I don't believe the Bible's true, what you ought to say is, you know, I really can't, talk to you much more about this because the Bible is true and unless you're willing to accept it. Now, if someone honestly wants to know why we believe the Bible is true, okay, do you have a couple weeks? Because there is so many things in the Bible that are so accurate that we can't help but believe the Bible is God's word. Amen? But they are demanding a sign. Jesus does not give them a sign. Jesus is then sought by his mother and his family. And actually, I now found the reference under point C that I was looking for. It's in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 8. Maybe I need to get my reading glasses adjusted here. And uh, it says they came and we have these same, same words here in Luke chapter 8. They, his mother and his brethren could not get to him. And uh, there's a passage in here, a verse in here very close to this. And I'm sorry, I just cannot find the reference where they actually believed that Jesus had lost his mind. They said he is beside himself. And they came to get Jesus. And Jesus just kindly sidestepped their misunderstanding of who he is and alluded to the fact that he is the Son of God. And if you want to be a part of his family... All you need to do is obey him. Now, let's take just the last few minutes here, and I want to go to Matthew chapter 13. 
Matthew chapter 13. And this is Jesus teaching in parables. Now, we're not going to take time to go through every parable. Otherwise, we'd need a whole lesson just, just right here. We have the parable of the sower. This is where the man goes out sowing the seed. Some falls on the byway. It's eaten up by the birds. Some falls in the stony ground and it grows up immediately. Or Some falls in the weeds and then some falls on good soil. The seed, the word of God. The different types of soil are the different lives that receive the gospel. You know what? The Calvinist has tried to come up with a doctrine that precludes soil that does not bear fruit by saying only Christ's grace goes to only those who are saved. Well, that's not what Jesus taught. Jesus taught that the word goes to everyone, whether they receive it or not. And some places it takes root, and it grows, and it produces fruit. But three other places, it does not ever produce fruit. It's either choked out, or it has no root. We have the parable of the grower in Mark chapter 4. Uh, possibly taught right here in the same set of of parables as it would follow in the scripture. And that's the guy that puts the seed in the ground. It grows up. He watches it grow. He puts his sickle in and gathers the harvest. But I'll tell you what, even our greatest scientists have a problem explaining how in the world evolution produced seeds and that they grow and that they produce fruit. Now, of course, we know that God created fruit with its seed in itself, and he made it to grow. We can't explain it, but we know how to work it, and if we didn't, we'd all starve. Uh, and Jesus is using that illustration. You don't have to understand everything about the gospel to lead somebody to the Lord. Amen? You don't need a Bible college education. Sometimes it gets in the way. Sometimes you have too much to say, and the Holy Spirit needs to just get his job done. Amen? So put the seed out there. You say, I don't know how to do that. Uh, I don't know how I'll say it. If you cannot witness to somebody, take the gospel tracts that we have out there on the rack and just read them to somebody. That's all you'll need to do to witness to somebody. And if they start asking you questions about where Cain and got his wife and, and uh, who the sons of God were in Genesis chapter 6 and whether Adam had a belly button or not and all those wonderful truths that make absolutely no difference, tell them, if you're serious about the gospel, everything you need to know is right here. But if you're not, let's not waste our time. It's too precious of a thing to sit here and argue about. Amen? And so we have the parable of the tares. Jesus said there's going to be good seed. The devil's going to sow the bad seed in the middle. You know what our job is? Let them both grow up and let God decide. You know what? If somebody comes in and says, Pastor, I'm saved. I'm going to ask you a few questions. If you trusted Jesus as your Savior, do you believe in anything else to go to heaven other than the blood of Jesus? And if you tell me that, guess what? I'm going to believe you. Because that's what Jesus said in the parable. We've had several people over the years, as they've sat in the church, that said, you know what, I don't think I was ever saved. Well, praise the Lord. Let's get that taken care of. Amen? And that is how we're supposed to work. Do you know there's going to be unsaved people as members of our church on Judgment Day? It's not your and my job to try to root them out. Because we'll make a mistake if it were our prerogative and we'll get rid of the wrong weed. Meaning, we'll get rid of the real people and let the weeds stay there. That's what our nature is. So we're going to let God be the judge. Amen? And so that's what that parable is about. The parable of the mustard seed. How the least of all seeds makes one of the greatest of all 
trees that even the birds can be in it. The parable of the leaven, some people take that as a negative thing, that the leaven will will infiltrate the church of God, but uh, I don't believe that it is a negative thing. It's using it as a positive light that the leaven, how much yeast do you put in a loaf of bread? Uh, if you ever use that Fleshman's dry activated yeast, you don't even need a whole tablespoon, two little packets, and you can make a nice couple big loaves of bread. I mean, by weight, the yeast is the least thing that you put in your bread. And yet, have you ever tried to make bread without yeast? It's called hard tech, my friend. And it might have been good in the Civil War, but all the books I've read, they didn't talk very highly of it. Um, God never intended his church to rule the world. But just like the yeast in a loaf of bread, he intended for the few people that serve in his church to make it a better world. And let me tell you, wherever the truth of Christ has been, it's a better world. It really is. Amen? Other parables, the hid treasure, the pearl of great price, the net brings in fish, both good and bad, and the householder, Jesus said, listen, you disciples, you're like the owner of a house. You go into the storage places on the house and you're going to bring out treasures, old and new. We're in the process, my brothers and I, of cleaning out the house that my mother lived in. You know what? There's treasures in that house that go all the way back to when it was built in the 19-teens. I don't know how much of a treasure they are, uh, but they're there. But you know what, looking through, we have a book of photographs that goes back to those early years. And I'll tell you what, I don't think I could tell you one person's identity in the whole book. Because all those people are gone long before I was even ever thought of. But does that make anything less important? You see, there are people who want to live in the past. And there are people who want to live in the future. But if you're serving God, you can live where you are, knowing the past and expecting the future. Amen? These are just some of the parables. And I would encourage you to read through Matthew chapter 13 and the other references that are here. The pearl of great price is Jesus' love for the church. He gave all so that he could have the church. The treasure hid in the field should be your attitude towards salvation, that you would sell all that you might gain the treasure that is hidden in the field. Amen? And so we look at these stories, and Jesus is teaching us about himself and about God, and yet with the parable, Jesus also confuses those who don't want to hear. It's an incredible teaching method. Only Jesus could use the parable in the way that he did. Many men have tried, but it does not work. And so, as we go through here, I hope that you're seeing a few things. One is, Jesus went about doing good, as is described in the book of Acts. But he did miracles. He taught the word of God. And, he healed, he, and, and that was his basic ministry. It wasn't new and innovative. He was not trying to get people to follow him for the sake of gathering a crowd. But the woman who confessed her sins, he said, your faith has saved you. Guess what? You get saved the same way she did. Amen? And we need to serve the Lord. Don't allow yourself to be sucked in by the people who are looking for a sign and the people who want the Bible to be proved and the people who are trying to disprove the Bible. 
I've often had to talk to people say, don't you know this new book they've written? Uh, they discovered the bones of Jesus. Uh, they discovered a new manuscript that said Jesus married Mary Magdalene. How many of you remember that one? That was just a few months ago. You know what? Every one of those have been proven to be the, well, we, we would use the term hogwash, but if you actually fed it to the pigs, that's what hogwash is, it would make them sick. Uh, they're just lies. Even if they did find Noah's ark, would that prove that the Bible's true? Not if you don't want to believe it. Let me tell you something. Uh, I believe Noah's Ark is up there. Whatever might be left of it after 6,000 years. Uh, I'm not, but I'm not worried about Noah's Ark. I'm not worried about all the archaeological discoveries. Because there's some things that I ought to have done this week that I didn't get done. How about you? There's some things that need to be done tomorrow that better be done. And I'm going to need God's grace to get them done. That's what I want to worry about. How about you? And that's what our Lord was concerned with. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night, and Lord, just ask that you would help us to see in your word that you just want simple obedience. Lord, we ask that you would work in our hearts that we may experience truly and honestly the emotions that are described in your word. But Lord, that we would never depend upon them to prove anything. We would just want to offer them to you as a gift. We ask you to help us to serve you in these last days, not trying to prove your word, but Lord, just simply believing it. In your name we pray. Before we finish that prayer, we'll just give you an opportunity. If you need to slip out of your seat, talk to the Lord about a few things. The altar is open.